Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Today is the 20th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev, December 14th, 2022, and this week we're reading the Torah portion of Vayeshev, which deals with the sale of Yosef by his brothers down to Egypt, and the story of Yehuda and Tamar, which is the starting point of the dynasty of Mashiach, of Messiah. It's a very, very um, important Torah portion. Every Torah portion is important, but this one is especially meaningful, and it is always the Torah portion that we read before Hanukkah. Hanukkah will start this coming Sunday night, where every Jewish family will light these Hanukkah candles either on its windowsill, as is the custom in America, or here in Israel, many, many families light the Hanukkah candles by the entrance of their house, because this is originally where the Hanukkah candles were supposed to be lit, by the entrance to your house. And this week, though, I want to talk about something completely different, and that's because today, the 20th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev, is the holiday of redemption, Haggah Geulah, the holiday of redemption of the first Lubavitcher Rabbi, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, also the author of the book of Tanya called Balatanya, and that's what I'm going to call him in the coming minutes, Balatanya. Today, on this day, in 1798, he was released from prison, and it's funny that in Chabad, it is customary to celebrate the days that the rabbis were released from prison, to the extent that there's a famous joke when a young man uh, decides to join the Chabad movement, and he goes to learn in a Chabad yeshiva, and his parents are not observant. So one day he calls his parents, and his mother says, uh, maybe you'll come home for the weekend? And he says, no, I can't. Our rabbi was released from prison, and we have a big celebration. And a few months later, his mother said, sweetheart, maybe you'll come home for the weekend. He says, no, no, our rabbi was released from prison. I have a big celebration. And a few months later, once again, the mother says, Sweetheart, maybe you'll come for the weekend. He says, No, no, we have a huge celebration. A rabbi was released from prison. And his mother says, Sweetheart, are you sure you fell in with the right company? Are you sure you're not in a wrong company there? So, uh, but yes, every single one of the Lubavitcher rabbis actually sat in prison to the extent that the last Lubavitcher rabbi was arrested while he was in uh, France for giving a public uh, speech in a park on Purim. He had a little bit of a drink, and he gave a public speech in the park explaining the intricacies of Hasidic thought. He was arrested. So Rabbi Yosef Dov who is the skin of the um, Lithuanian approach to Torah, was a friend of his, and he went to get him out of the uh, police station, and he joked, Rabbi, now that you have been arrested, you have what it takes to become a Rebbe. Because every single one of the Lubavitch Rebbe's spent some time in prison, obviously for good things, because 
the surrounding culture and the Russian um, emperors could not stand the fact that the Lubavitcher Rebbe's was so involved in spreading the Tanya. It was just part of their uh, anti-Semitism. Um, so, um, as I said, uh, in, in 1798, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe was imprisoned on Simchat Torah, right after Simchat Torah, actually, the day after, because of um, a false testimony that he was supporting the Turkish Empire against the Russians, the Turks and the Russians were in a war, and the land of Israel was under Turkish control. The Rebbe worked very hard to raise money for the Jewish people who lived in the land of Israel, which was under Turkish control. And so this was misconstrued as sending money to Turks to support them in the war effort against the Russians. So he was arrested and taken to St. Petersburg, to the Peter and Paul um, fortress, where he was arrested and uh, held under guard. It was actually a capital crime, and the Lebre's life was in danger. He spent 53 days in prison, and the 53 chapters in the Book of the Tanya. So he spent 53 days in prison, and then he was miraculously released and let go and was free to go and do what he wanted. So the question is, why are we still celebrating this holiday 200 and 25 or 24 years later, and what's its significance? What's the significance of the fact that a Rebbe was imprisoned or released from a prison, and why was so happy? You know, these weeks, there was a huge celebration in Jerusalem. Every single day, there were completely sold-out concerts to mark this uh, event, and 60,000 people attended these events over the past few days. A completely sold out month in advance. So what's so special about this holiday that people celebrated 200 years later? And the idea is that the fact that the Rebbe was imprisoned was really um, a heavenly decree against his Torah, against the spreading of his ideas. It was a way of putting a cap on the Hasidic teachings so they could not be taught to the masses. And there was really a struggle in heaven you know, struggle in the spiritual world, should these ideas be spread and should these ideas become known to the wider public? And I don't know if you remember from previous years, if you've been listening to the show, but um, the ideas that the Tanya and the Lubavitcher Rebbe's uh, teaching are actually very, very mystical, internal, secret ideas of how the world functions on a metaphysical level. What's the inner source? What's the inner workings of the world? And there's a beautiful story of when Rabbi Schneer Zaman of Leari was a young man who was a student of the Maggid of Mizrich. The Maggid of Mizrich was a student of the Baal Shem Tov. And so the Maggid of Mizrich would teach the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov in a very open way, and he would spread them far and wide. And one of his colleagues, Rabbi Pinchas um, of Koretz, did not agree with this. He said, these ideas are secrets. They're the secrets of Kabbalah. They should not be taught so far and wide. So one day, Rabbi Pinchas of Koritz came to visit his friend and colleague, the Maggid of Misrich. They had some disagreements, but they were friends and colleagues. And as the Maggid um, of Misrich was sleeping during that time, Rabbi Pinchas of Koritz was walking around the synagogue, and he found a page of Kabbalistic um, secrets thrown on the floor. He picked it up and he was so angry. He said, you see what happens 
when you teach Kabbalistic secrets to anybody and everybody and becomes a free-for-all, what you have is holy words thrown on the floor in the mud. This is a physical representation of what you're doing spiritually. And the person who was on hand was Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadi, the Balatanya. He said, let me give you an analogy. So once there was a king, like in every good Hasidic story, there was a king, and the king had a son. And he wanted his son to learn about the world so he could be a better monarch when the day comes. So the son went to travel the world. And he got sick in some place. He was brought back home very, very sick, literally on his deathbed. And none of the doctors knew what to do. Doctor came and went and came and went. And all of their um, procedures and all of their medicine, nothing worked. So the king was so upset, he knew he was about to lose his only son. And finally, one doctor came and said, I have what it takes to bring your son back to life. But the bad news is that it requires a very, very specific gem that's very, very rare. You have to find this gem. So the king said, nothing is too expensive. No expense will be spared to save my son. So he told his servants to go and check the king's treasury to look for this one gem. So sure enough, a few hours later, they come back and say, we found one gem exactly as the doctor told us, but we have a bad news. What's the bad news? It's the gem that is fixed in the king's crown. It's the biggest and most precious cornerstone gem of the king's crown. So the king said, who cares about the crown? If the prince is not going to be alive, if there's nobody to continue my dynasty, what do I need this crown for? Take it out. So they take out the, the gem. And then the doctor says, look, what we need to do is to take this gem and to turn it into powder, mix it with water, and drop into the prince's mouth. But the problem is because the prince is so sick, he can't open his mouth and we don't know if any of this potion will fall into his inside. Maybe it will all just spill outside. So she will still turn this gem into powder. The king said, yes, do whatever it takes. If there's even the smallest chance that you will save my son, do whatever it takes. Take this gem, make it into powder, do whatever it takes. And sure enough, they turned the gem into powder, they whisked it with water, they dropped it into the prince's mouth, and the prince came alive. What's the point of this story? What's the king's crown and the gems of his crown? It's the secret teachings of the Torah, the most internal, secret, precious gifts, secrets, teachings. Who is the prince who is on his deathbed? It's the Jewish people. During the times of the Baal Shem Tov, right after the pogroms of 1648 and 49, when a big part of European Jewry was decimated, it was the Holocaust before the Holocaust, about 350 years ago, big parts of Jewish people were decimated. Jews were tired, oppressed, poor, and deflated. Literally, it was just like the Jewish people were dying out that no more energy left. And so, just like the king in the parable, God had to take the secrets of the Torah, this emotional truth that weren't apparent at the time, 
and to turn them into powder, to grind them very, very finely, to make them available to every single person, to bring them down and to teach them in a way that the simplest people can understand the secrets, deepest secrets of the Torah. So this was a parable that Balatanya told to Rabbinchas of Koritz, and Rabbinchas of Koritz agreed. He finally understood why these secrets of Torah was taught so widely. Afterwards, when the Magad of Israel woke up, he said, what's going on? Something happened while I was asleep. And the Balatani told him, and the Magad said, you saved my life, because the anger that Rabbi Pinchas of Koritz had awoke all kinds of heavenly forces that were against the teaching of the Torah, and they almost killed me, and you saved my life. So forward a few decades, those same heavenly forces that did not want the secrets of the Torah to be revealed, the secrets of the Torah to us become known, the same forces that wanted to keep the king's crown and the jewel intact, so to speak, those same forces did not want Mishneh Zaman of Liadi to make his story known, because what Rabbi Zaman of Liadi did was he wrote a systematic book that explains the Hasidic teachings as a system in a way that most people can understand if you understand the language and if you understand the concepts. So once he made it a systematic book, it became open to anybody and everybody to learn. And yes, there was a whole heavenly spiritual struggle. Should these teachings become public or not? And the imprisonment of the Rebbe symbolizes um, a stopping to the teachings of the Hasidic movement. And the release of the Rebbe symbolizes that now these teachings can be taught far and wide. And in reality, there is a story that while Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadio was in prison, he had a vision, and the Magad of Misrich and Rabbi the Baal Shem Tov came to visit him. And he actually asked them, why am I in prison? What did I do wrong? And they told him, you're in prison because the heavenly forces that oppose your teaching of the Hasidic ideas, of the secrets of the Torah. So Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadio said, okay, so maybe I should stop teaching them. And they said, no, once you've started, you have to do more and to teach more. But there's this war going on. And sure enough, when he came out of prison, he started teaching these teachings in an even more explicit way. So what are these teachings? And to give you a really good idea, I'm going to take you to a different story. <laughs> it's always a story within a story. Um, a story that I read this week, actually, which is quite beautiful. And it's about a time when there was a fire in the town of Abishnev Zalman. And the soldiers were called in, those soldiers stationed in town, and they were called in to help in putting out this fire. But the fire was huge, and the soldiers were just going back and forth with pails of water. And somebody had a bright idea. They brought in Abishnev Zalman, and they asked him to pray for this fire to stop. So sure enough, the rabbi prayed, and the fire died down. And the soldiers were so um, amazed, they went back to headquarters and they told the officer about this. So the officer reached out and asked Rabbi Schneer Zaman to come to his office. And so he did. And the officer asked, are you by any chance the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov? And Rabbi Schneer Zaman said, I am his spiritual grandson, not his physical grandson, but I'm his spiritual grandson. And so the officer said, I knew that. Let me tell you a story. Um, 
you know, several decades ago, there was a Russian general, a non-Jewish man, who was stationed in the town of Mezhbush, which is where the Baal Shem Tov lived. And this general's wife was about to give birth. He knew she was expecting any day. But there was no news coming from her. There were no letters. He was very, very disturbed. He was very upset. He was very nervous. He thought that something might have might have happened to his wife and to his unborn uh, child. And just for days and days and days, there was no news. There were no letters. So he was very, very nervous. So one day he shared his agony with a friend. And the friend said, look, you have the Baal Shem Tov here in town. And many people go to him to get his advice. And so the general asked to have a meeting with the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov was not interested. So the general said, if you don't meet me, I'm going to order all the soldiers in town to be stationed in Jewish houses. And the Baal Shem Tov understood that that was actually right before Passover. That would mean that the non-Jewish soldiers would bring hummets, leavened bread, into the, into the Jewish houses. So he said, okay, fine, I'll meet you. So this uh, general came to the Baal Shem Tov's house, and he walked in, and apparently there was a mirror on a wall. And so the general peeked into the Baal Shem Tov study. He saw him learning Kabbalistic books. And the general looked into this mirror just to straighten his hair. And all of a sudden, inside the mirror, he sees the path, the road leading into his hometown. He calls his friend over. And the two of them look into the mirror. And what they see is the road leading to the general's hometown. And the road leads them to his house. And then they see the inside of the house. And then they see the general's wife sitting um, at her desk, writing a letter, and in the mirror, they see the letter that says, Hi, how are you? I'm sorry. Uh, there was a delay in writing this letter. Everything's good. Everything's fine. I'm fine. The baby's fine. You know, hope to see you soon. We love you. Bye-bye. So basically, the general got his answer looking into the mirror. He was so stunned. He wrote the story in his uh, biography, autobiography, and so decades later, this officer was the that baby that was born to the general. This officer is sitting opposite the Rabbi Shneur Zaman of Liadi. He pulls out this a memoir written by his father and shows him the story. And when I read the story, I thought to myself, okay, I mean, it sounds like a beautiful, wondrous story, something really, really special, which probably happened because, you know, it for sure happened because Balshantov and Rabbi Shneur Zaman of Liadi have these kinds of miracles happening to them all the time. But what would we call this today? What would we call this today? What would we call a mirror, a glass that you can look into and see things happening hundreds and thousands of miles away? We call that WhatsApp. Every single one of us can open his or her smartphone, press some um, buttons, and we can see and talk to our loved ones, our friends, literally on the other side of the world. And it's so matter of fact. Today I have a two-year-old granddaughter, and they live a little bit far away from us. So when I want to talk to her, we call each other on WhatsApp, and sometimes she tells her mommy, I want to talk to grandma. For a two-year-old, it's totally natural to open a phone and talk to her grandmother, who's 200 miles away. Why is that? Because 200 years ago, there was no consciousness, there was no um, real-life tools, instruments, channels 
for this kind of long-distance communication, it was something that was just not present. It wasn't available. It wasn't accessible. It wasn't part of our consciousness. It wasn't part of our reality. Today, our consciousness has expanded. And today, we know, we feel, we use things that they didn't know existed 200 years ago, like radio waves and microwaves and Wi-Fi and electricity, all of these things that always existed, these waves and electricity always existed, but we didn't have the tools to perceive them or use them or make them part of our everyday reality, but today we do. Today we have the ability to perceive and use all kinds of things, all kinds of phenomena in the world that are not really apparent. You can't see them, you can't smell them, they don't have a color, they're like a nothing, but they're nothing that creates something. And what I'm trying to say is that there are many, 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 many levels of reality that are beyond our perception. Just like for our forefathers, electricity and Wi-Fi and radio waves will be on their perception. So the additional levels of reality that are beyond our perception, but they're very, very real. Actually, they're more real than the reality itself. And the most basic level of reality that is beyond our perception is the fact that this world is being powered every single second by God. Godliness is the power that creates and animates this world every single second to the extent that the Balatanya says, if God was to stop creating and animating the world, the world would cease to exist. If God wants to destroy the world, God forbid, he doesn't have to do anything. He just has to stop creating it and stop animating it. And if we understand that, and if we really concentrate and think about this concept, the more we think about it, the more we learn about it, the more we see it in detail, which is really what the Tanya is all about, the more we put our mind to it and focus on it, the more it becomes our reality, our experienced reality. And when this becomes our experienced reality, this is redemption. This is Mashiach. This is Messiah. The Balatanya writes in a different part of the Tanya that what is Mashiach? What is redemption? The redemption is when people will be able to experience, see God's light in the physical world. When just like, you know, when you walk into a coffee shop and you need Wi-Fi for your computer, you just ask the waiter, what's the Wi-Fi code? And you press and a few, you know, punch in a few numbers, and you have this internet connection, and you connect it to all the knowledge in the world, and you can see things from all over the world, and you can see what's happening on the other side of the world. You know, you, you just plugged into something that gives you unlimited consciousness. And that's just an example, okay? This is a physical example of what happens if you understand that this whole world is powered and animated by God, which is an unlimited consciousness. And all you need to do is just to be conscious of it, just like you know there's Wi-Fi, you know there's Wi-Fi, that you want to be connected to the consciousness of Google and the internet, you just need to plug in. What if we understood, just like we know that there is Wi-Fi, what if God's energy and existence was as clear to us and we would just 
search for our own channel to plug into that and connect to God's infinity because we're actually already plugged in. We're already plugged in because we have a godly soul. Our godly soul is our plug-in, is our channel, is our connector to God's infinity. We're part of godliness. Just like on the internet, everything is connected. All the computers are connected and they all talk to each other. That's a physical metaphor for the fact that each one of us has a godly soul and they're all interconnected. And they'll communicate and they'll affect each other. It's this one huge consciousness. And today, in 2022, because of the developments of technology, we can actually talk about these things and they make sense to us. Like if I talked about the Wi-Fi and the internet analogy, I think every single person who uses a smartphone understands exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not such a big jump to take that to understand godliness. But just think 250 years ago, 220 years ago, when the Balatani was first writing the Tanya, they had like no clue what this is. And this is exactly the birth of Mashiach, because today we're so much closer. We are literally on the doorstep of redemption because we understand that the forces that really animate the world and make things happen are the forces that are not physical. You cannot see them. I mean, they are physical, of course. Waves and radio waves are physical, but we can't perceive them. We can't see them. They're all around us, and we can't see them. And I'm sure the people who learn physics have many, many other and better ideas. But this is exactly what the Balatanya taught. I started teaching, and this is exactly the kind of shift in consciousness that brings us closer to redemption. And the shift in consciousness is look up beyond the physical world. Understand that the real existence, the godliness of this world is beyond the physical. And if you connect to it, if you experience it, if you build an emotional relationship with it, then every single moment of your life can be permeated with this understanding and will give you a completely different outlook on the world. And I'll finish with a story that happened to one of my friends literally this week. My friend of mine is on the market for an apartment in Jerusalem. And so she checked out a few different apartments and then she narrowed it down to two, two or three. And there was this one apartment that she really wanted to consider, but she wanted to go and take another look at it to see, you know, some of the features of this house. Now, she knew that there was a serious parking problem in this part of Jerusalem. And the first time they came to see the house, they had the little altercation with the neighbor across the street who has a handicapped parking spot. And, and he was very, very peculiar, you know, particularly nobody would park anywhere near his parking spot. So whatever, she, she went back. It's a small one-way street. Um, it's a cul-de-sac. So she drove into the street and she parked next next to his parking spot. Not on the parking spot, not on the, not on the parking spot, next to the parking spot. She gets out of the house, uh, gets out of the car, and the person coming out of the house says, move your car. She says, I'm here for literally one minute. I'm just making, you know, walking around the house, checking two things. One minute, I'm out here. She's like, move the car. She's like, she said, but if I move the car inside, 
it'd be really hard for me to back out. It's, it's hard. You know, it's a very narrow street. It's like, no, my wife is coming. She's going to park in the space. She says, for sure, if your wife is going to park, it's going to be hard, hard for me to come. And the man starts screaming at her and calling her name. Says, I don't, we don't need people like you on our street. And she's like, and she feels, she said she felt this hard feeling and she was about to cry. And then she says, wait, I just got my answer. I just got my answer that this house is not for me. The ha I don't need to see the house. I know that a man who uses this kind of language, who talks this way, you know, who has this kind of energy, I don't want him as my next door neighbor. I got my answer. And that's it. But it takes a certain kind of glasses to look at that because somebody asked her, I've got it all worked up. I said, wow, what kind of person? And I only want to see the house. And she would have taken the... And, and she really wouldn't have gotten an answer if this is the right place for her. But here, God sent her an answer. This is not your place. She just had to look up and, and, and be connected to understanding that God is sending her an answer. And she got it. So what would happen if we would look up and understand that godliness and this huge consciousness is all around us and all we need is to plug in? We need to plug into the godly consciousness. And we do that, which is exactly what the Tanya teaches, is the system to how do you, what's the, what's the um, Wi-Fi code? What's the password, so to speak? To really plug in. To, and the answer is in concentrating, using your mind to contemplate godliness and meditate on it. The more you meditate and contemplate, the more it becomes a part of your experienced reality. And before I uh, sign off, uh, because of copyright issues, I cannot play music on this uh, on this show. But what I suggest is that you go to YouTube and you plug in for Babot. The for Babot is one of the ten melodies composed by the Balatanya. And the story is that one of his older Hasidim came to him and said, Rabbi, your Torah is so deep and complex, I can't get any of it. I, I'm a very simple man. I don't understand anything. I'm going to die soon. I'll go up to heaven and I will tell God that I was a student of Abishnir Zaman of Liadi. And God will tell me, okay, so teach us. Tell us some of the learning, some of the teachings, some of the things that you learned by Abishnir Zaman. He said, I'll be embarrassed because I can't say anything over. I just don't get it. So Abishnir Zaman looked at him and said, look, there is a tune. There is a tune. I've put all of my teachings, all of my soul into this tune. I'm going to teach you the tune when you go up to heaven. Sing this tune and, and you'll be good. So this tune is called the Fo Babot. The Fo Babot literally means the four um, gateways, the four gates. The four gates corresponding to the four um worlds of consciousness that exist in this world. And this is really part of the teachings of the of the Abishnir Zalman. And I suggest that you go to YouTube and you plug the four babot and you close your eyes and you listen to this melody and just let it seep into your soul, into your being. It's a very special melody that is only played on special occasions. So I invite you to finish off this podcast by listening to this tune. And I wish all of us that all of us should enter a world of expanded godly consciousness 
that we should always feel plugged in, that our entire reality, our entire existence, our entire experience should be full of consciousness of God, of his love, of his good favor, and we should always know that we're getting answers. Every single moment, we just have to look up, open our eyes and ears, and make ourselves open to hearing the words of God. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I'm wishing you all an amazing, amazing holiday of Hanukkah, full of light, happiness, family, good times, good laughs, and take the time to really, really look into the lights of Hanukkah. If you look into the lights of Hanukkah, you can take that light with you into the whole year. It's the holiday that gives us light for the entire year. So I'm wishing you an amazing week, and I will see you on the other side next Wednesday on Hanukkah. Have a great week. This was News from the Torah. Bye-bye now. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.